Good morning. Perfect day for, uh, I mean, uh, Easter doesn't have to have great weather, but sure is nice when it does have great weather. Uh, I want to take you back to uh, uh, a wilderness trip I went on. And a wilderness trip is when you, uh, by the way, if you are sitting on the ends and there's seats in the middle, could you kind of scoot to the middle? It looks like we've got more people that need seats. So don't, don't make me have to come down there and make you move. Yeah, just let me... But not only that, I've got guys in this church that'll make you move, right? Right, David? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that'd be great. It'd just be helpful. Uh, a wilderness trip is uh, a canoe trip in Algonquin, Canada. Algonquin, Canada is a series of lakes and rivers. Uh, it's, it's got hundreds of lakes and rivers that go in and out. And uh, you take everything that you're going to eat for a week you stuff it into a bag, your sleeping bag, all that stuff, and you, t you take a canoe and everything you need in for a week. After about two days in, you don't see anybody else. Uh, you've gotten in far enough where there's no other people floating around. You might run into somebody, but usually not. And then you, uh, you just go, you travel this map. Our goal is to, to go 115 miles in, in a week. Uh, and it's a great time to interact with God, and um, it's a great time to challenge each other, and uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, on this particular trip, uh, the guy who owns the, the company where we got all the canoes had a graphite paddle. It's a lot lighter. You look a lot cooler with a graphite, pa graphite paddle. And because I knew him personally, he said, hey, yeah, yeah, you can use my graphite paddle. And so we're paddling along, and then we had to do what's called a portage. A portage is when you can't get from where you want to go, by, uh, from where you are to where you want to go by water. You have to portage. You have to take all of your stuff out of your canoe, take your canoes, flip it over your head, and then walk. This was a long portage. It was two miles, and uh, it's killer. By the time you get a mile, your, your shoulders hurt like mad, and you, you wonder why you're here, and what in the world are we doing here? Why did I come on this trip? But eventually you get to where you see the water and then everybody's like, yeah, great, we did it. And you slap each other on the back. You're the greatest men in the world. It's wonderful. All that happened. We put our canoes in the water. We got ready to go. And we could not find my $200 graphite paddle because I had left it back at the beginning or the portage. So uh, the guys stayed there and I said, hey, no problem. I'll go get it. And I start trekking back and running. And I run all the way back, and everything was good. I got the graphite paddle, and I'm running back. So now I'm up to three miles, which to me is a long ways. Um, and this, in, this really intense loneliness overcame me. And I began to think about the fact that I was really alone. And in Algonquin, if you get lost in the woods, they're not going to find you. Like, it is crazy crazy wild out there. And the trees uh, have a canopy over the top. You can't see it from a plane. And I began to think about that. And I began to wonder, am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? And I'm all alone. What am I, what am I going to do? I'm all alone. Uh, I kept going and I got to the point where I started crying. I was so alone. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like, I am alone? 
You're going through something like, I'm alone. And I had those two questions in my heart. Am I alone? Am I on, am I on the right path? As we talk about Easter today, uh, I often wonder this, uh, and, and, and this is part of it. For a church like ours, uh, we, we try to reach people who don't go to church. We want to create a place where, we, where if you come, you can understand what we're talking about. You may not agree with it, but you can understand what we're talking about. You can understand the, the, the songs and kind of interact with them a little bit. But I often wonder, especially on Easter, do you come to, do you come to church and go, uh, this is just part of what we do. It's great. It's wonderful. It's kind of a neat part of the day. I've done it ever since I was a little kid. And uh, we even did this dress up thing this year because everybody, we, we kind of followed you. You kept coming dressed up on Easter. We said, well, if they're going to dress up, why don't we dress up? And so we made it a kind of a dress up day and you get your picture taken. And, um, but I wondered this. Do you come and go, that's a nice, that's a nice message, Pastor. That's really nice. But what in the world has it got to do with my real life? And so I kind of want to go heavy duty with these things. What does Easter, what does a resurrection, what does Jesus being alive have to do if you're here today and you have cancer and it's terminal? Like it doesn't look good. What does the resurrection have to do with your life if you have a disease or a disability that has stolen the life you could have had? Like on a day-to-day -day basis, you see, man, if I was healthy, I could have that. What does the resurrection have to do if you are here today and you have hurts and hang-ups and habits that are destroying your life? Or you're an addict and you're destroying your life. Or the pornography is destroying your life or your marriage. What if you're here today and you just, you just have no healthy people in your life? You don't have one healthy relationship because quite frankly, all of the people around you, they're really messed up. And so every time you try to do it right and every time you try to build a relationship with the person around you, you just, it just ends in drama. It ends, it ends up that you end up reacting with them and interacting with them in a really unhealthy way. It either ends up fighting or ends up with you uh, saying yes to things you shouldn't be saying yes to. You feel like slaves to the people around you. You just, you can't find any healthy people. What if you're here today and you've lost your job and you've got kids to care for? What if you're a single mom today and you've lost your job? What does Jesus' resurrection have to do with your life? What if you're here today and you're at the point in your marriage where you are so furious with the person you're married to, you not only can't love them anymore, you don't want to love them anymore. You don't want it. The only way that you see out in life, the only way that you see that you could ever be happy again is to eliminate that person from my life. Not this, guys. All right, just eliminate. <laughs> I know you've thought about that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to plant anything in your head. 
What if you're here this today and you failed? Like you failed. Maybe you failed at school. Maybe you failed in your career. You, you, just, you just have. Maybe you have made some decisions. You've taken some actions. You've done some things. You've failed. We're not talking about, hey man, don't worry, it's going to get better. We're talking about, no, you're going to have to live with the consequences of what you've done because you've, you've failed. What does a resurrection have to do with you? Well, we're going to go to a story that is part of the Easter story. The Easter story begins in Christ, at Christmas. It begins when Jesus was born, and when Jesus was born, it was a miraculous uh, conception. Why? Because Mary never had sexual relations with a man. She became pregnant because the Holy Spirit came upon her, and God himself became a man. So Jesus was fully man and Fully God. Fully human, fully God. He lived his entire life and he proved it because, one, he never ever sinned his entire life. And he also could do things. He could raise people from the dead to life. He could do miracles. He had, con he had the power over creation. He had the power over sickness. He had the power over demons. So he lived his entire life and then, uh, he predicted it even, but he goes to Jerusalem, and when he first goes into Jerusalem, that's Palm Sunday, everybody's like, oh, this is great, this is great, because they expect Jesus to take away the problems in their life. They expect Jesus to overcome the oppression they have from the, from the Romans. And when he doesn't do that, and when he makes it very clear that those who are self-righteous, those who believe that they have a relationship with God because they've lived a good life, which by the way, if you're here this morning and you think you're going to have a relationship with God and go to heaven because you've lived a good life, because you're doing good things, he said to those people, no, exact opposite. That's not going to happen. And they were furious. And so they said, crucify him. And so he went to the cross and he died on the cross. And then he was buried in a tomb. And we picked the story up when Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene is someone who was uh, possessed by seven demons. And Jesus had cast out those demons early in his, in his ministry. And she had been close to him ever since. And throughout the entire crucifixion, she was there. She was not one of those people who said, okay, yeah, I know Jesus. No, I don't know Jesus and kind of watch from a distance. She was there the whole time. She was with him. This is, Jesus was someone she knew well and loved dearly. He had, to, he had had this huge impact on her life and she was there. She was with him. But an interesting thing happens. Let's pick it up. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, which was a miracle in itself because when she came to the tomb, the tomb, they used to bury people in caves and then they put rocks over the front of it, uh, big, huge rocks over the front of it um, to, instead of burying them in the ground. Well, when she came, the, the rock had been moved, that front had been moved, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other 
at the foot. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. This relationship she had with Jesus was, he was the Lord. He, he was the most important person in her life. She said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. So she knew him well, had been there the whole time through the whole crucifixion, through most of his ministry, but she doesn't recognize him. I think she, it was because she was looking for a dead man, which makes sense. She saw him die, and she's never, ever seen somebody raised from the dead. She was looking for a dead man. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Then she says, thinking he was the gardener, which again makes perfect sense. Like, who is this guy? He must be the gardener. He must be the guy who takes care of this garden. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, she thinks he's dead. Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. At this point in the story, I want to, this is the truth that I want you to grab a hold of today. As to why we often miss Jesus, even though he's alive. It's because we either think Jesus is dead, we interact with Jesus like he's dead. And it is our job to get to him. Or maybe that Jesus is far, far away, and it is our job to get to him. We have to take care of him. That's what she was doing. She had come to take care of him to interact with him. And she was thinking about what she needed to do and where is he? And she was looking for him. Where is he? There's another piece to this for us. I wonder if you're not like me in this. I want it to be that Jesus takes death away. I want him to eliminate it. How about you? When you run into trouble in your life, there's death, which is the ultimate death, which if we go back to the person with cancer, they're facing death. When you hear that someone has cancer, what's your first reaction? And nowadays there's cancer that really it's been amazing what's happened me medically. But when you hear that someone has stage four terminal cancer, What's your reaction? My reaction is to go, uh-oh, what do I say? See, I want the death to go away. And I want to come to them and be able to say to them, um, okay, Jesus is alive, so he's going to heal this. And sometimes people say that. But I've watched that not happen. So I know that's not actually true. Like, you, I can't promise them that. What I want is I want to not have to face the death with them. 
I want it to be eliminated. How about you in your life? When you're interacting with something in your life, when you're interacting with a broken relationship, when you're interacting with your own evilness, the death inside of you, how do you, what do you pray for? Jesus, take this away, take this away, take this away, take this away. Eliminate it, eliminate it, eliminate it. Get rid of it. What do you do when you can't, when it doesn't happen? Doesn't it seem like, where's Jesus? Doesn't it seem like, wait a minute, Jesus, where are you at? What are you doing? I need you to do this. And it can have to do with death, but it can have to do with very little things too that are very big to me at this time. Jesus, I need you to make this situation work out for me. I need that job. I need that promotion. I need this to happen. I need my kids not to be sick. Sometimes you're driving somewhere and you just need Jesus to get you there on time even though you, you left a half an hour late. Right? Right? And you're praying, Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. And when Jesus doesn't eliminate the death, what do we do? We feel so alone. We feel so alone. Like he's not there. We, we wonder, are we on the right path? Well, this is what I want you to get today. Jesus did not eliminate death. He conquered it. He did not eliminate death. He conquered it. He said, what do you mean? Well, Jesus took death and turned it into something that he brings life out of. So when, when uh, you and I, we're just like the people in the Bible, Peter was like this too. So Jesus actually said to his followers, he said, now look, I'm going to Jerusalem and the elders and the chief priest is going to turn against me. I'm going to die. And then in three days, I'm going to raise again. And Peter goes, come here, Jesus. That's not going to happen to you. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's not going to happen to you. What's that? That's Jesus going, no, 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 no. No, no, I want you to eliminate death. And Jesus said, and by the way, this is very interesting that Jesus responded that way. Because Jesus said, in three days, I'm going to raise again. He's totally missed that. Like it skipped him. All he heard was, I'm going to die. He didn't hear the resurrection. Or he didn't interact with the resurrection. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're looking at this from a human's perspective, not God's perspective. You're listening to this from a human's perspective, not a spiritual. You're listening to it from the outside, not from your heart, not from God's perspective. And so I think we do the same thing. I think we want it to be that God, God, please eliminate death. And if you eliminate death, then I'll know you're alive. But that's not what he did. He conquered death. He said, no, I am going to go and die. And from that death, I'm going to be able to offer salvation, offer a new life, offer heaven, offer healing for two billions of people for thousands of years. Wait a minute, I thought death was a bad thing. Actually, Jesus came to say, 
I'm going to conquer death. And if you won't die, then you can never really live. If you won't go through this death, then you can never really live. So, go back to Mary. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you put him? And I'll get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name. And Jesus wants to call you by name. But if we are looking for Jesus to be who we want him to be, or if we're looking for Jesus as though he is still dead, if we're looking for Jesus to eliminate death, we will be focused on what we have to do, just like Mary was. Jesus, what do you need me to do? How do I fix this? What do we do? How do I fix this? What do I need to do? Just like I react when someone tells me they have terminal cancer. The first thing I think is, what do I have to do? How do I fix this? What do I do? What do I need? What? How do I react? Just like when something goes wrong in your life. How do I fix this? What do I do? How do I get, what, what, this has got to change. We can't have this. That's what she was busy doing. But then Jesus called her by name. I cannot remember the specific event that we were at. But we were at an event and uh, Tate, my grandson, was there and his dad was there. And I was far enough away I could watch Tate, but it, it, was, it was a big group of people, but it was a safe place. It wasn't shopping mall or something like that. It was a place where we were contained. But, and I was watching Tate where he couldn't see me and he got separated from his dad. And at first he was a little scared. And as time got, went on, he just got more and more fearful. And you could see the whiteness start to overtake him as he's like, I can't find my dad. I can't find my dad. I can't. And he became, uh, he, he, he was, you could tell, he was totally focused on, I've got to be able to find my dad. What am I going to do? I'm lost. What am I going to do? 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 And he was, he, what? and then Gary said, Tate, Tate's, the color came back, big smile on his face. Like just, everything's okay. Why? Because my dad knows where I am. Jesus said, Mary. And she saw him. My Savior knows where I am. He knows my name. The responsibility moves from Mary to Jesus. Life comes from Jesus, not from Mary. And he's alive. He's alive. You interact with someone very differently if they're alive. You're like, well, yeah, obviously. Be careful. Do you interact with Jesus like he's alive or like he's actually dead? We don't really do it that way. This is the way we do it. We interact with Jesus like he's an idea. 
Like, like he's, a, he's a religious idea. He's something I believe in. And you're totally focused on yourself. Not like he's alive. He's alive. And so therefore, he knows your name. The message this morning is this. He knows your name. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head. That doesn't really impact me so much as the fact he knows my name. And he's calling your name. He calls you by name. See, he knows all about your past. That's why he's calling your name. He knows about the lying. He knows about this self-righteousness. What do you mean by self-righteousness? Self-righteousness is this. I know there's a problem. I know that I need to do something about this. But I think I'm going to be okay without it. I know I should love her like that. I know I should take those steps. I know I should get help. I know I should. But I'm the one who makes the decisions. And so I'm not going to. I'm just going to let it roll. He knows about the pornography. He knows about the perversion. He knows you are enslaved. He knows you don't have a chance of getting to heaven based on you. He knows about your past. And so he calls your name. And what does he promise? Because he's alive, he can forgive you. Because he paid for your sin and now he's alive, he can forgive you. This morning, if you're busy focused on fixing your own life and making yourself acceptable to God because of what you're doing, you're not going to hear his name. You're not going to hear him call your name. You're going to think he's the gardener. He knows you're present. So he calls your name. What do you mean? He knows that you're worried all the time. He knows that you're controlling. He knows that this morning you had a fight on the way to church because you were worried about being late getting to church. And nobody in your family does it well enough. He knows that you got in the car this morning and you went through a list with your daughter and your son and your husband or your wife about how they did this wrong and this wrong and they should do this and they should do this and they should do that. He knows about that. He knows about the emptiness. He knows that you go through life and you hope that food or sex or the next TV or the next concert or the next family event is going to bring fulfillment to your life. But it doesn't. It does for 15 seconds. He knows how empty you are. He is calling your name because he wants to give you a purpose that is so fulfilling. It's beyond what you could have imagined. He wants to give you a mission that will not only change your life, but will change your family's life and change more people around you's life. He calls your name because he knows where you are in the present. He knows what your future could be. And because he knows what your future could be, he calls your name. What, what do you mean? Your future could be that you are never 
ever, ever, ever alone again. Ever. Your future could be that no matter whether cancer comes or disease comes or accidents come, that you are promised heaven and a life beyond anything you could imagine. Let's go back to our list. I have cancer and it does not look good, to which Jesus says, I own death. Cancer can't stop you, it cannot hurt you. Cancer can kill your body, but it cannot kill you. You will be with me in all of eternity. I have disease and a disability that has stolen the life that I could, could have had. To which Jesus says, the suffering of this world is not compared to the glory that is to be revealed in you. What, what does that mean? It means this. If you have this much suffering in your life, in heaven, you're going to have this much glory. If you have this much suffering in your life, in heaven, you're going to have this much glory. If you have this much suffering in your life, in heaven, you're going to have that much glory. It doesn't compare. I have hurts and hang-ups and habits that keep me from developing a healthy relationships. You know what Jesus says? He calls your name and he says, bring it out in the open. I'm not afraid of that death. I'm not afraid of the ugliness. I'm not afraid of the sin. I have conquered all of it. If you'll bring it into the open, I'll take it and I'll turn it upside down and I will give you a life you cannot imagine. I've lost my job and I have kids to provide for. Jesus is alive and he has made you a promise. He will provide. Jesus is alive and he's given you a family. It's called Skyline. Don't walk alone. Let his people walk with you. If you have to move in with one of us, you gotta move in with one of us. But don't walk alone. I have failed. Yes, you have. He's alive. He will take you and he will take that failure. And he's calling your name and he's saying, give me the failure. Because I'm alive. I will turn you into a success. I will take you to heaven with me. We're going to take communion. And as we do, I want this one thing to happen this morning. I want you to open your heart and listen to Jesus call your name. You're like, I've never had that happen before. I don't know what that that is. How can you be so confident? Because I know that Jesus is calling your name. I know it. In the Bible, he says over and over again that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to redeem the broken. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And that's you. That's me. He's come to call your name. But maybe you're like Mary. You're so focused on yourself. You don't recognize it. He's called your name before and you either ignored it 
you just, you just didn't recognize it. This morning, I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you to come and take the elements. I'm going to ask you to sit back down and calm your spirit and open your heart. And don't look for Jesus to be who you want him to be. Don't look for him to eliminate death. Let him speak your name. Listen to him speak your name. Lord Jesus, I pray for our people. I pray for our hearts. I pray and thank you that you're alive. And so I can say with all confidence that you will speak to their hearts because that's what you do. You're alive. I pray that as we take communion, this will be between you and us. That instead of wanting the death to be eliminated from our lives, we will understand you have conquered it. We don't have to fear it. We can just bring it to you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to rise and come and take the elements and then go back and sit down. says it is me, your Savior. I encourage you, open your hearts and listen. If you have not heard this in a long time, just, and you you know him as your Savior, worship him. Thank him. Just let the world fade away. Just let it be you and him, your Savior, who's alive. Soak him up. But for others of you, you've never met him. He, he, 
just called your name before maybe, but you've never met him. You've never trusted him. You still treat him like he's dead. And that God wants you to change your life so you can be good enough to go to heaven. This morning, I encourage you, give that idea Ask Jesus to forgive you and accept that forgiveness. That once and for all, he pays for all of your sin. The bread represents his body, which was broken for you. His body was literally broken to pay for every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. Accept his blood, which the juice represents, which was spilled for you and the the picture the Bible paints is that when you accept his forgiveness his blood washes away all of your sin and makes you clean and holy and pure ensures that you will have a relationship with Jesus for all of eternity then leave the path you're on leave the hiding and the blaming and the deceiving clean with Jesus. Show him everything. And then follow him. Choose paths. I mean, change paths. Go from whatever path you're on to following him, wherever that's going to lead. Let's take communion. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your body, which was broken for us. And we take this now remembrance of you. Let's take the bread together. Now, before we take the juice, I'm going to give you a little time. His body was broken for you. I'm going to give you a little time to quiet your spirits and listen to Jesus. Hear him call your name. Jesus I love it I love hearing you call my name I love that you're alive and I love that your blood is more powerful than any sin I've ever committed any failure I've ever had or ever will have So now, Lord, we're going to take this juice and we're going to remember that you're alive and that your blood has guaranteed that we can know you forever. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's take the juice together.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to sing now, and as we do, I encourage you. I encourage you that if you've already know him, man, worship him. Thank him. If you just met him today, if for the first time ever when you took communion, it was between you and Jesus, and you would listen to him, you were trusting him. Tell somebody else. You got a connection card there? Write it down on your card. Hey, today I trusted Jesus. If you don't, if you, better yet, go out to the concierge. There's a bunch of smiling people out there. Let them know. Hey, today, today, I met Jesus. Or maybe tell the person that you came with today. But while we're singing, you make that commitment that you're going to tell someone that you met Jesus today.